You're listening to the Wander Well Podcast. Learn how to create your own reality, live your calling, and find inner peace. We cover self-care, wandering, and manifesting. Welcome. I'm your host, Katie J. Hi, so I'm Aisha Iqbal. I am currently residing in San Francisco, California with my little two-year-old baby girl. I love that. And Aisha, this is just a a nice icebreaker question that I like to include sometimes so people can kind of get to know you and your interests. So what would you say is one of your fondest childhood memories? My early childhood was um, punctuated by a lot of travel because my dad was with the United Nations. And so we moved around a lot. So at the time we were living in Sudan in Africa, Um, And we were visiting the states, uh, Houston, Texas, because my elder siblings, so I'm one of seven, and I'm in the younger quadrant. Um, So the elder siblings were going to college in the states. So during the summer, we would come and visit them here. And in the winter break, they would come and visit us wherever we were. So it was one summer, it was in Houston, Texas, and it was um, in the backyard of a house that my sister was living in. And there was a big, beautiful tree. And I was always one of those kids kind of like on my own, being one of seven, I guess I didn't want attention. I didn't want people to know where I was, what I was doing. So I would always like go off in a corner with a book or something. And um, so I had to be under, under 10, I think. And I see this tree, I grab a book, I climb it, and I find a nice branch. And I sit in it for, I think, an hour just reading. And I remember loving that so much, and I've been trying to recreate it as an adult, um, but I haven't yet been able to recreate that experience. So where all did you, I mean, I'm sure you guys traveled to so many different places if your uh, dad was working for the UN. So where was one of your favorite places that you ever lived? So we are, my family is from Pakistan. My dad and my mom were actually born in India, and we're, we're Punjabi, so in the state of Punjab, um, and that in the state, even now, it, it resides in both India and Pakistan. Uh, and just a little bit of history. When, when the British left, they cut, they cut the state in half. So my dad and mom were born on the Indian side of Punjab. And post-partition, they migrated to the Pakistan side. So that's what I like to say. They're from Pakistan. Um, so from there, my dad actually traveled and moved the family from Pakistan to Malaysia and one of my sisters were born there. Three of my elder siblings were born in Pakistan, one sister in Malaysia. And then me and my younger two brothers were born in Indonesia, in Jakarta. So I remember moving from Jakarta to Khartoum in Sudan. And I think I have a, I have a lot of memories from Jakarta, but it was, you know, I was four when I moved there, moved from there. So I think majority of my childhood memories of us on the move were in Sudan and then from Sudan when we moved to LA to the States and at that point that was a really pivotal moment for the family because my dad quit the UN because he wanted the whole family to be together his next kind of posting was going to be in Vienna and he didn't want to keep the family separated any longer so then moved to LA and he had to start all over again so we were broke for lack of better words we were broke and he had to support like kids in college and then us younger ones coming up. So it was a really pivotal time for the family. And those LA memories are probably the most 
poignant. Well, Sudan for sure, because that was the first time where I experienced feeling different. I still remember I have memories of going to a, um, a British school system school and uh, some of the some of the girls there saying that, oh, you're not the same Muslim as we are. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, what do you mean? I'm Muslim. And they were like, no, 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 you're different than we are. So that was the first time I remember feeling different. And then coming to LA, it really kind of solidified that feeling because of just our upbringing and even little things where being raised in a British school system and then coming to America and adding a U in certain words and we're calling a, a, an eraser a rubber and getting ridiculed for that. So, so things like that. So a lot of my memories um, like that came in LA. Interesting. So what age were you when you, or what grade were you when you moved to LA? So if it wasn't terrifying enough, we, I moved to LA, uh, I think halfway through fifth grade. So I started fifth grade and, you know, and that's kind of where, you know, that's the last year in elementary, then you move into mm-hmm. middle school, right? And so I had the opportunity, my parents actually tested us, got us tested for honors system at that point. It was like IQ tests and they were like, oh, okay, your kids in honors classes. And so I could have skipped and I could have gone into the sixth grade, but for some reason, thank you, thank you, universe, Lord, that that didn't happen because I was, I'm five foot right now. And so I was much smaller in the fifth grade and I would have been eaten alive if I had gone to middle school at that point. So it was halfway through fifth grade and it was, it was, um, it was, it was pretty tough, but I think that was also when I literally peaked in my childhood. Um, and I can go into that if you want. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So, okay, like I said, we were, the family was broke when my dad moved us to LA. So this means that I had one pair of jeans, which I wore every day um, to school because, you know, it it was just hard to clothe all of us kids. Um, It was at that point, it was my sister, me and my younger brothers. So four of us going into, she was in high school, me and my two brothers in elementary. So and he's, he's paying for his older kids to go to college and grad school and things like that. So one pair of jeans, wearing it every day, kids making fun of me, and me not really knowing what to make of that. My instinct was just like, okay, just lie. And so I lie saying, no, I have 10 pairs of jeans. I'm wearing different ones every day. Um, and I'm pretty sure everyone understood that that was a lie. So that's the kind of environment that I was in. Super shy. I don't... and my personality is I, I never wanted to stick out anyways, right? So even more so in the school environment, I did not want to stick out. I did not want just to be known. And so I made friends with underdogs. Um, but again, the universe knows when, when you need a little kick in your butt. And um, my teacher, my fifth grade teacher, bless her, she saw something in me. Um, and at that time, there was, a, there was a school competition, a speech contest. And for some reason, you know, she said, I think you should enter it. And I think you should prepare a speech. Uh, and I said, I, I, you know, English is my third language. I'm not comfortable speaking in front of a crowd at all. And she's like, no, I think you can do it. So she paired me up with another fifth grade teacher, another classroom teacher. And she helped me prepare a speech. Um, I think it was on the, the speech itself was what difference I would want to make in the world. And uh, I remember preparing the speech. And my family still remembers this because 
I was the only kid that did not use a microphone. For some reason, I thought a microphone would hinder me. And so I literally belted the speech out. <laughs> like I'm yelling. This little four foot nothing girl is just yelling on the stage. And it started very much with like the MLK style. I have a dream. <laughs> start to this speech. So that was one. But and then at the same time, for the second half of the year, they were doing um, the school president campaigns. So the same teacher, she's like, I think you should run. Or actually, no, it wasn't the teacher. It was my best friend at the time, um, who, again, was an underdog like me. She was like, I think you need to run. And I said, are you kidding me? I was like, the people who are running, they're like the popular white kids. You know, I'm like this newcomer brown girl. No one is going to vote for me. She was like, no, 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 I think you should run. I was like, oh, fine. You know, I really just want to put my resource and energy into the speech contest, but whatever, I'll figure it out. So I made a lame ass poster. It was, <laughs> my slogan was, don't let your brain go for rent. Vote Aisha Iqbal for president. So again, all of my creativity was being put into the speech contest. So whatever I had left over, I, I put it into the school presidency. Um, but at the end, like I won the speech contest and I became school president. And it was, that's what I mean by I literally peaked at my time in the fifth grade. Like I had just come into this country and just started in this brand new school and I accomplished all of this. But the sad thing is that this did nothing for my confidence. My mom still remembers at the dinner table that day, I come home, we're all sitting around eating, and she asks all of us, like, you know, how was school? And when it was my turn to talk, I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I became school president. And everyone just stopped eating. They were like, what? They didn't even know I was running for school president, first of all. And she says that the way I said it was just so quietly and so nonchalantly um, that, like, it just didn't matter to me. And the sad part is that, is that it didn't because I've self-diagnosed this because I've carried this all throughout my adulthood as well, where immediately when I accomplish something, it no longer becomes a big deal to me because I'm, my thinking is that if I'm able to do it, then anyone else can do it and it's not significant any longer. So that, that became, that was extremely potent at that time. And now when I go back and look at it, I'm like, holy crap, that, that is kind of where it started. So do you feel like you still hold on to that today? Unfortunately, yeah. It's something that I have, um, I have now categorized my life as kind of two things. So before Aliza, Aliza is my daughter, and after Aliza, and the way, I, the way I've categorized it is because before Elisa, I, I still accomplished a lot. You know, I was still successful in my own right. Um, you know, I moved around a lot. I went to grad school. I, I've, I've held good jobs, things like that. But the main driver for me was I felt that I wasn't enough, that I needed to make myself look good on paper because me, myself, I wasn't qualified enough. I wasn't skilled enough. I didn't possess the, the GPA like everyone else. And I didn't have the pedigree like everyone else. So it was always from a place of, um, I, I, I'm forgetting the word right now, but it wasn't from a place of confidence at all. Uh, my motto during that time was fake it till you make it. And um, so I did all of these things, even though, even though I achieved, I've, I've had success, I, it was, I never felt confident about it. I never felt strong about it. And then the, the moment that I found out that I was pregnant and I was pregnant with a little girl, I literally like 
turn myself around because I told myself that if I want my daughter to be a certain type of woman, a certain type of human being in this world, I need to be that first. I need to exemplify it. It's enough. It's not enough for me to tell her how to be. I'm going to have to show her how to be it as well. Um, and so that, that was really a turning point where now instead of acting out of a lack of confidence, I was acting out of, you know, full confidence. I was learning to rebuild my confidence or actually build my confidence. Um, and my choices were actually grooming me for that because I'm, I'm a single mom and I decided to, to be a single mom while I was pregnant. And I'm also 40 years old now and I was 38 when I became pregnant. So coming from a Pakistani family, a Pakistani Muslim family, who in our own right, we are pretty progressive when looking at other Pakistani families as well. Um, my mom, uh, my dad passed away when I was in high school. So my mom has, has been kind of the head of the household ever since. So she was not happy with this decision of mine. And there were, and there were a few family members who were also upset about this decision. And through that came a lot of difficult conversations, a lot of difficult things for me to hear and for me to experience. Um, but now looking back and even even understanding then that this was my my trials and tribulations. I had to go through this to find my voice, to find my confidence, um, to be able to stick up for myself. Because if I were if I wasn't going to be able to stick up for myself, how was I going to teach that to my daughter? That's so interesting to me because I was just thinking about that in a in a so I'm not pregnant, nor do I plan to get pregnant anytime soon. But I feel like a lot of my thoughts recently have been around the woman that I want to be for my kids one day and how powerful that is. And I've, 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 it's just crazy to me that you brought it up today. And that's kind of like what changed, that really changed everything for you was having that connection to something bigger than yourself. And I had to, and I'm so glad that you're thinking about it now because you're giving yourself a great head start. I had to piece it all together for myself, like between month zero and month nine of my pregnancy. It really started because part of, part of being a mother, especially part of being a modern mother, is, is going through kind of that chaos of where do I start as myself? Where do I end as myself? Where do I start as a mother? Where do I end? Because those roles are, it's so hard to, I mean, it's so easy to lose yourself in motherhood where I love my baby girl. Oh my God. I love her. Like I've never experienced love before, right? That, that cliche, it's so true. But at the same time, as much as I love her, I grieve my loss of freedom. I I don't have that freedom anymore of, you know, sleeping in late or enjoying a morning cup of coffee in solitude. You know, I've got a little monkey next to me or that I have to take care of, make sure that she's clean, make sure that she's fed first, right? Um, through this process, through this process of finding my voice first, it kind of set me off on the right footing to be a good mother and to be a good caretaker for Aisha as well. Because now I, I'm a huge proponent of self-care um, for moms, um, for people in general, but especially for moms. Because if you're, you know, aside from motherhood, if you're taking care of another person, 
if you are a, um, a son or a daughter taking care of an older parent, if you are taking care of another family, if you're taking care of sisters, if you're, if you're responsible for somebody else, it is, it is so crucial for you to have your own time, to have your own space, to first take care of yourself first. Um, because as the saying goes, like you, you've got to care for others through your own surplus. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't do it when your own cup is depleted. You just can't, you're not oh. effective. You're not good for yourself. You're not good for the world. Thank you. I think yeah that's what it really boils down to is like if it's great to just give and give and give and give and give you know you can say you can't pour from an empty cup or your love bank needs to be full and I I love what you said earlier too it's just like if, if you have a higher goal of being x y and z for like you said you know the loved one that you're caring for or maybe it's a piece of property or a business or whatever mm-hmm. it is if you're just giving and giving and giving and not spending time, I was just talking about this with one of my friends who's in grad school right now. And she's like, it's just so demanding. And I feel like any, she was saying anytime I, I'm not working on grad school stuff, I feel guilty for not working on grad school stuff. And I'm like, but you can't work on grad school stuff unless you're in a good place. Like she's in a creative field. So how on earth are you going to be creative and, and in, 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 in line with, your higher purpose or with what your client wants or whatever and be have that emotional intelligence if you're not monitoring your self-care and oh man yeah so I'm so glad that you said that one thing I wanted to go back to briefly is you mentioned that so you you had family members that were not so happy with your decision but was that the first time that you had to experience kind of turmoil in your family because of something that you chose no, and luckily, no. So I, I mentioned that my dad passed away when I was uh, in high school. I think it was my senior year, two weeks before I was graduating. My mom, bless that woman. She is my hero, by the way. She's gone through her kind of, kind of her own adventures in life. And with me particularly, I have always pushed her limits. So very quickly, my dad passed away. My plans for college... We were in Houston. I was going to high school in Houston. Uh, my two younger brothers, well, my the one right below me was about a year and a half younger, so he was a junior. And um, my, uh, my college plans were to go to UT Austin for the first year because I was put on the waiting list at Columbia. Super stoked about that. And I was just like, yeah, even UT is a great school. So super stoked about that decision. I'll be moving out. Um, and so my dad passes away that summer happens. And my mom asks me, well, through my eldest brother, um, if I can stay at home the first year of college to help kind of with my brothers and, and her and just to, just to, you know, help through the morning period. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll go to University of Houston. No problem. I'm still on the waiting list for Columbia and I need to wait it out. doesn't matter. The first year, so quickly apply to University of Houston, get in, whatnot, get my classes and all of that. Um, That's not a problem. First year goes by. And when we're approaching kind of the next summer, then another request is made of me if I can just stay at home again so that my, because my brother wants to go off to college. He wants to go to UT Austin and my mom needs support at home. Now, it can be said that, you know, that was my choice. I could have, I could have easily said no, but 
if you have gotten any glimmer of the kind of person that I was, um, I, I conceded to that because I, I figured I was like, I need to be here for my mom. Um, and at the same time, my eldest sister, she was a single mom at that time. And my uh, niece, the eldest granddaughter, she was at home with my mom. So with, for me, the decision was, you know what? I, I want to be at home. I want to be here for mom. And I also want to be here for my niece. You know, I'm, I, w- I want to help, you know, kind of raise her. And, you know, I love her and I, and I want to be here. I want to be that aunt for her. So my college experience was then dreaming of moving to the East Coast, to New York, to be at Columbia, then now quickly turning that into, okay, well, I'm going to be here in Houston for college. And although at that time, I didn't think it affected me in any way. It, it did. You know, I, I did resent my mom for that. I resented my brother for that, um, for, for making me make the choice of staying at home and not pursuing my dream, um, even though I did a lot. Again, th- at that time, I succeeded. I had achievement, but it was coming from a different place. Through that, you know, I pushed my mom a lot. The first, the first push that I can clearly say was a push was – so my dad passed away two weeks before graduation, and it was around prom time. Um, in our culture, you know, 40 days, we don't do anything. But I wanted to go to prom. Um, my mom was like, no, I don't want you to go. I was like, mom, I want to go. Long story short, I ended up going to prom. Uh, the second push was um, wanting to have a pager. So, yes, I'm old. <laughs> we, the first advent of technology was the pager. So having a pager and being completely honest with my mom, I was like, mom, I want a pager. She's like, no, I'm not. And so we had that back and forth. And, you know, I was like, cool. Now you're going to force me to lie to you. You're taking away this pager. But trust me, I'm going to find a way to get another one. And I'm going to lie to you about it. And she was like, whatever. So that happens. Then the third push was before graduation, I wanted to go abroad. I wanted to study abroad. And um, I, I found a program. It was three months in Tokyo. And I had to fight my mom on that because she didn't want me to go away. But long story short, I ended up going. But the funny thing is that first night, right when I entered my room, my tiny ass room in that tiny ass Tokyo apartment, I get in. And mind you, I've, I've gone through like a 14 hour airplane ride. This is my first time flying internationally by myself. Planes, trains, automobiles with my luggage, you name it. And when I, and everything was fine. I did everything perfectly. But when I got into that room, I broke down. I started sobbing and crying. I call my mom, tell her I miss her and I'm homesick. And what does that lady do? In true Mama Iqbal fashion, she's quiet and she's like, well, you know what? This was your decision. You're the one that wanted to go. Now handle it. I stopped crying immediately. I was just like, oh, I was like, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> So I got my act together real quick after that. But that's the relationship. That's what the relationship has been with me and my mom. I push, she evolves, but then she pushes me as well. And she holds me to my decisions. Like you decided this. So now handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that.
In just a second, you're going to learn how Aisha manifested her best life, even after being laid off from her job when she was six months pregnant and a single mother. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit more about my latest passion project that helps me financially support this podcast and myself as I work towards paying for grad school debt free. Wanderwell Academy is a platform where I share all of my manifestation, life coaching, meditation, and yoga knowledge with you. Each week, you'll get guided meditations you can download for offline listening, yoga classes for all levels, weekly group coaching calls, workshops, and mini courses. Last week, I uploaded a workshop on how to start a consistent meditation practice where I bust all the myths around meditation and show you how easy it is to get started with a daily mindfulness practice. To learn more, head on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash wander well. Now let's get back to the show. When I asked you what's something that you're excited about that you'd like to discuss on the call, you said you're self-branding, self-promotion, self-discovery, self-everything this past year. So tell me what it is you're referring to. For me, it's miraculous to say the least, right? So when I was pregnant, six months pregnant, I got laid off from my job. And at that point, again, decided to do this as a single mom. And I was just like, I quickly need to find a job so I can get some maternity benefits and I can pay my bills and things like that. Also at that time, I'd, um, being in San Francisco, you can imagine you know, the high rents and things like that. And um, I decided to move out of my junior one-bedroom studio into a two-bedroom apartment, which meant you know, two times the rent that I was paying. So now I had to make sure I had enough money to pay for, for this type of lifestyle that I wanted to maintain for, for me and my unborn child. I, I tried a couple of interviews for a full-time gig. It didn't work out because every piece of advice that I was getting was just like, lie to them, don't tell them you're pregnant, you could get discriminated against. I was like, okay, no, I don't, I don't feel good about starting something new based on a lie. So I decided, let me just freelance for these next few months. Get up on LinkedIn, hit up a few of my folks, get great projects, work on that. Um, and so I had Aliza on uh, September 28th, 2016. And by then I'd saved up enough for a comfortable maternity for about four months. Um, so I was like, cool, you know, I'm, I can coast a little bit now. Come four months, uh, I'm like, you know what? I need to start looking for a full-time job now. And, and it's just hard. Um, being a new mom, just being a new mom is hard. It, it just is. Even if you have all the support in the world, it just is. It's such a change in life. And now you have to mentally prepare for, um, it's one thing if you're going back to a role that you're already in, to a job that you're already in, um, you have some support there. But I was starting brand new. I had to go into a new job, not just not just as a new mom, but as a new employee too. So it took me about three months to finally find um, my gig. And it was, it was a great job, right? And first of all, like that in itself was an accomplishment for me because I, I changed my title. I, 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 got a, I got a higher title in this new job as a new mom um, and, you know, an increase in salary. So that was a checkbox number one on paper for me, like, damn girl, you, you did this, you know, and you're struggling with pregnancy brain and you still did it. Um, so 
that was one. But a couple of months in, I started to think, I was just like, damn, I, I don't want to do this nine to five or whatever in an office setting anymore. I want to be at home a little bit more with baby girl. You know, I want to, I want to be a mother a little bit more. I mean, I loved leaving the home because um, it just made me feel like an adult and an independent person, but I missed her. I, even now, every time I go to work, I miss her so much and I just can't wait to come back home. And so it was at that point, like two months starting my new job, I was just like, I need to find another, I need to find another source of income um, that will keep me closer to home. And so that's when I started um, through this, through this practice for myself called the 21 days of the best me, where what I do is I write down three goals, then I track it and things like that. It was through that that I started exploring different avenues. Like what, what are my skill sets? What am I good at? So again, now, remember what I said about pre-Eliza and post-Eliza. Now I'm thinking of, no, I am good at a lot of things. What what can I pursue that will then make me more money or make me money, things like that. So now I'm coming from a place of confidence. Like I know I'm good at something. Let's just go find out what I can do with it. So it was exploring what my passions are, what my skills are. So I started, um, one of my experiments was being a life coach or a career coach. Now, mind you, I did research online about what the makeup of a career coach is. And these are people who, are highly experienced in this field. They have certifications. They've got, you know, background and education in this. Um, and I had none of that. I'm not certified in any of that. But I've mentored and coached a lot of people. You know, I've managed a lot of people. So I figured that experience means something. My 21 days of the best me, my, my goal was to find a client who would pay me <laughs> to be their career coach for like six weeks. And I did my first time ever trying it coming into this field, I found a client and I don't mean to make this like a racist or color thing, but it's so important to understand that me being a Brown woman, I found my first client who was a white male in mid management at, at a very, a very well-known company. And so he was willing to pay me to help him reach his career goals and I was just like, wow. And so at the end of that six weeks, when I did my post-work survey with him, you know, to, to gauge his satisfaction, he was like, yeah, I, you, you helped me reach all of my goals during the six weeks. Thank you so much. So that one experiment showed me that if I want to pursue this, I can and I will do it well. So that was the first part of this whole I can manifest my own abundant future that gave me proof point that was my first proof point like girl you put your mind to this you put this down on paper you worked for it and you got it and you kicked ass and I was just like it was literally after that point where I was just like you know what I can do whatever I want now now go find out what it is that you want to do and let's start working yes I love that so what is it that you want to do what are you manifesting so this year I manifested I wanted to become an author I am now. I wrote a book, um, my memoirs during my nine-month pregnancy. Um, I wrote it. I self-published it, and I did it in about five months. And I did it this year. I started blogging. Um, I was always, always lacked confidence in that, you know, because I always thought like, who wants to hear what I'm saying? You know, 
what I'm saying, how different it is, how different is it from what everyone else is saying? So I finally shut that voice out. I started writing and I started blogging. So now I'm, I'm sharing that. Then I wanted to, um, and then this was even further propelled. I went to a women's conference in March and that just gave me so much more energy to just keep it going. Like that, like that gave me, if you've ever played Super Mario Brothers, it's like I took that glowing mushroom and it super powered me for like the next few months. Um, so then I applied to TED Women. I am now attending that conference next week. And so that got me to start my Instagram profile. And this is me. I have never, I've always been, even though I'm in digital advertising, I'm a digital advertising executive. I know all about that. I know the importance of branding on, on social media. I never did it for myself because I never wanted to put myself out there. Now I started my Instagram two months ago. I was at 200 followers. Now I'm at like 2,100 followers. Um, I'm putting my content out there. I'm finding my voice. I'm partnering with with other people that that are that are out there for a purpose. So my passions are anything related to women empowerment and child advocacy. So recently, I just collaborated with a um, with a group out in LA called Chai for Change Project. They are um, they're helping uh, victims of human trafficking with their by pairing together with organizations that are helping them. So they're they're a chai product. Um, and so it's through that building a relationship with people like that to help raise awareness for them. But then also kind of, you know, help helping me find people in the world that I want to be with, that I want to work with, that I want to, you know, I want to get get goodness from them. So that's what the Instagram strategy has helped me do and is helping me do now. So number one, finding my voice, sharing that voice and collaborating with like-minded people. And these are all things, it's, it's really helping me understand who am I? Like, what is my brand? What do I want to share? Oh, and at the same time, I'm also now, I am working with a coach on um, trying to find the right topic to share on a TEDx platform because I am manifesting my goal is to be on a TEDx platform sometime next year. I don't know where, I don't know when, but it's going to happen. I believe it. And when you get on that TEDx platform, give us a shout out on the podcast because you said it here first. (laughs) I can't wait to see you up there. That's so exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's what that's what this whole journey has taught me. It's um, it's to just share what I want because even though if I don't know how I'm going to get there, just the fact that I'm sharing it out with the world, I'm putting it out there. And mm-hmm. when I put it out there, I'm going to get something back. And I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know from whom, but I'm going to get goodness back. Mm-hmm. So I am all about sharing. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm like tearing up right now because it's reminding me so much of my mom because you mentioned the women's conference and she was on the board for the Texas Women's Conference, Texas Conference for Women for mm-hmm. like seven years. And um, in the latter part of that, that she was actually in like in charge of everybody. And so I would go to these conferences in Texas. A lot of people tend to think that Texas is very closed minded and, you know, very right wing and like not women empowerment focus is not what you think of when you think of Texas, but the Texas conference for women is, I mean, every year that I go, I get chills and I feel like I eat the mushroom from (laughs) I have to admit, I never, I've never played it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten super charged with 
feminine energy and empowerment and they get people up there like Viola Davis, you know, sharing yeah. her story, which is just so similar to so many of ours. And you're like, Oh, Oh, I just, yeah, I knew that, you know, I just somehow lost my way and I'm just so glad that I'm back. And it just kind of brings me to the, the point of, it doesn't really matter where you are in your manifestation journey or in your journey of self-development, hiring a coach, like you, like you said that you did for a TEDx talk, like get, getting some investing in yourself so that you can continuously level up is so yeah. important. And it's something that I have to keep reminding myself too, is that like, I still need coaches. I still need mentors. I still need courses and lectures and workshops and stuff because it's not so much the information that's new and novel. It's the constant self-care and personal development because it's so easy to slip back. It's so easy yeah. to slip back. Yes. That's the easy yeah. thing to do. <laughs> that is, you're absolutely right. And I think that's a, that's a great point. We need help, right? People need help. And asking for help, getting help, it's not a weakness. It's not a sign of weakness at all. And this has been a big change for me because in my earlier years, I thought that I had to do everything by myself. And if I did, if I asked for help, I would be seen as weak. And again, it was thanks to my mom who, who really made me turn around because um, I had an emergency C-section when I was giving birth to um, Eliza. And, you know, the recovery from that, it's crazy because it's freaking major surgery. But a few days afterwards, I was like, okay, well, let me start cleaning up and let me get up and take the trash out. And my mom was there. She was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, mom, you know, I'd be doing this anyways. She was like, can you please just take some time out and rest? And, and she started bawling. She was bawling and she was like crying out to God. She was like, why is my daughter so strong? Why won't she just ask for help? And I had to like take a step back. I was just like, wow, I'm doing, I'm doing this to my mom you know, why? Because of my ego, because I just can't ask for help. I can't rely on other people. And so that, that really turned it around. And it was at that point where I think I connected even deeper with my inner child because I made a promise to my inner child a few years ago saying that I will take care of you. I'll have your back. Um, and so that point made me deeply connect with her once again to where I started hearing it inside me. Like if, um, like earlier in the year as well, like during my career coaching stint, I did some initial research. So I reached out to a few career coaches, life coaches, and just talked to them, you know, just from my own research. And I'd connected with this one lady um, who at that time, she said, are you, are you ready to work with me? I was like, no, not at this time. Um, but earlier in the career, uh, earlier this year, I was talking to a coworker and she was talking to me about how, you know, her career coach has helped her and something inside me, she was, said, you know, Aisha, you're ready to go work with Brie, you know, go give her a call. Not, not that, oh, go research and find a career coach or executive coach. Now it was go call her because you are now ready to work with her. And it was by working with Brie, it was her who initially gave me that confidence that, that, yeah, you know, I can totally see you on a TED stage she gave me that initial piece of confidence. And then she invited me to speak to a, a master group of women that she has um, to, to speak to them about my experience. So that was my first kind of like solo speaking. It kind of reminds me a lot of your teacher, but I want you to continue yes. what your thought is. You're absolutely right. It's just, it was that voice inside me, like, go find her, go work with her. I didn't know why. I didn't know where it was going to take me. 
but I knew I had to do it. And she, with her, I was able to level up. And then from that higher level, then I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And now she wants to continue, you know, working with me in any capacity. And these are very, you know, her and her partner are great, super experienced, you know, highly successful women in their own rights. And I was humbled when they gave me that opportunity. And so that was even the transition when I wanted to finally do the TEDx, like, you know, again, how I always start, I'm an analyst, I start with research, let me start researching. And I, you know, I found this guy online, he had some newsletters, I tried following his newsletters, but I was like, you know what, no, I need to work with him, I need him as my coach. And again, this, this being a single mom, it's important to note this, these are not cheap things that I'm doing. This takes money, but I had to commit that for myself, that I'm going to invest this in myself. Yes, I had to push that guilt away. Like I can use this money for, for something for Elisa, for something for us, for something for this, for something to that. You're going into debt. And I'm just like, well, yes, yes to all of that. But I'm still going to commit to myself and do these things because I believe that this is going to take me to bigger places. And it will. Yeah. And it probably already has. It definitely already has. It, it actually already has because what I didn't mention, there's so much that has happened this year. I could speak to you for hours about it. But another thing was that that first job post maternity that I had, it was a difficult one. It was difficult for many reasons, but through that difficulty came also a lot of evolution on my part. And that evolution led to the next job that I got. I started in September, much higher salary, much higher status at work. Um, and, and it was all because, you know, working with Brie, working through those challenges that I had, working through all the self-work that I've been doing, getting all of that confidence, like, and it was the easiest interview process of my entire career. Um, and it was easy because I didn't have to try hard to sell myself. Mm. I wasn't, I would, and these people came to me, they came recruiting me. They wanted me. I wasn't looking for a new job. And I was just myself and they accepted me and wanted me for everything that I was. And so that's what made it so easy. And I remember talking to my eldest brother about it and I was just like, dude, this was so easy. He was like, it was easy because you were ready. I was like, damn, you're right. It was like, that's so, oh, I love that quote. It feels like it was easy because you were ready. I yeah. like that a lot. I feel like I'm, I've been kind of, as I'm getting into this mindset of, teaching now and like being in a coaching position, I'm absorbing a lot more. And uh, one thing that I've kind of latched onto as far as just a theory goes to help my students kind of manifesting into physical form for them, or at least the concept of it is describing it as a toolkit and, or having rather having a toolkit of your manifestation tools and a job. I just got this idea, like a job in and of itself is a manifestation tool. Like it can be used to kind of empower you or remind, remind you of your worth, remind you of that you're worth more, you know, even mm -hmm. help to support the times when you do need to be investing in yourself financially and might not be able to be investing in like the growth of a business or rather mm -hmm. the growth of yourself. And so yeah. I think it's really easy for me to fall into the trap of thinking, well, a job is failing at manifesting because if I have to go back to a job, then I wasn't able to successfully manifest what I wanted, but that's not the case at all. 
a job is simply just a tool within the manifestation process. Oh, Katie, and let me tell you, this job for me and the kind of manifestation, like potential that it has allowed for it, number one, that the first job that I had was more of a national role, so US only. This job is a global role. And in my mind, I've always wanted to make a global impact. Mm. Like the work that I want to do, the help that I want to provide is on a global scale. So number one, this is a global role, right? And then number two, the clients that I'm working that, that I'm working with, world-renowned client and the specific head client that I have, he is a world-renowned speaker. He's a world-renowned thinker. And in my interview with him, um, in my mind, I was thinking, I was like, this could be the last time I, I speak to him. So you know what? I'm going to make sure I carve out at least five, 10 minutes of this interview for selfish purposes. And I pitched him on this idea that I've been working on for like the TEDx platform. And I ran it by him and I got feedback from him. And it was the most amazing experience that this, this world-renowned celebrity in his own right in the analytics field is giving me feedback, me, Aisha Iwaha feedback on something that I've been thinking of, something that I blogged on. Then when I got hired, my, the feedback that, I, that they shared that the clients gave me were like, she is great, we need her. And so it was, it was such a great confidence boost for me. And I needed it at that point because the job that I was leaving had done wonders on me. Again, great opportunities for growth, but it, it, been, it was tough. So now this job, the platform that it is giving me is exactly what I needed again, to level up, to level up my, my manifestation and to, and to do more in the line or the path that I'm in and, and to, to get me to, again, I don't exactly know where it is. And I'm so cool with that because I know that whatever it is along the way, I'm going to get more. When I get to where I am, I'm going to get more. And I've been able to, part of abundance is not just to stockpile wealth for yourself, right? You get it and you share it because the more you share, the more you get. It's got to be a flow. And I have totally been experiencing that for sure this past year. Abundant flow of life. Is that what you're referring to? Yep. I oh get it gosh. and I share it. I get yeah. it and I share it. I, the coach that I work with had um, a retreat out here in Costa Rica that I got to go to, which was awesome. And she encouraged me to create my own mantra and the one that I'm, which I've done before, but this one was like, has, was way more powerful because it was after a coaching call. And she was like, all right, given everything that we've talking about, talked about today, what is your mantra going forward? And what I came up with is I am a powerful creator, joyously flowing with the abundance of life. And I love that you said that it's like abundance is a complete flow because you have to give in order to to receive and vice versa you have to receive in order to give <laughs> and and I and I learned a lot about that too because I had to make that change where before in my younger years I was totally against self-help which mm -hmm. makes sense right because I thought asking for help was a weakness mm -hmm. so when I became pregnant even before I became pregnant because I I, I was in a in a very vulnerable spot in my life where or I had to start strengthening myself. And I started kind of looking anywhere and everywhere, speaking to people, reading books, things like that. Um, but the, a year and a half ago, I was sent a book on, on manifesting abundance. And there were, even while reading that book, I, I had to stop myself from thinking things like, oh my God, this is so hokey. Oh my God, this sounds so cheesy. 
and I had to give it a chance and I had to do the exercises to kind of totally understand what in general it's supposed to mean. And I totally buy into it because um, one of the things that I read which really resonated with me was, you know, sometimes people feel bad about asking or praying for money because it's materialistic and it's, you know, it's selfish, things like that. But the way this author put it was, you know, money can, should be seen as spiritual currency and it's not finite. We all have access to, we can access a universal supply of spiritual currency. We're not supposed to hoard it. We're supposed to let it flow to others. And we all can have access to this. So don't feel bad about asking for more because behind it is once you ask for more, you have more to help others with. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Let me go start praying for more money now. That is it for the Wonderwell podcast today. I'm your host, Katie J. If you would like to explore a little bit more of what I do outside of the podcast, such as my Manifest Your Best Life courses, coaching, and my guided meditations, then head on over to my Patreon site. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Wanderwell. There you're going to find access to group chats with me, guided meditations, and all sorts of fun freebies and giveaways through workshops and mini courses. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash wanderwell. I look forward to having you next time on the podcast. And remember, the wander makes the heart grow stronger. Have a good one.